is one of those like things that really annoys studio executives like they can sink 500 million dollars into a movie you know cough avengers cough and then you know someone's 10 minute youtube video will get more watch time from the same audience oh, yeah. something that someone shot in the camera you know so there's another imbalance which is that consumers and audiences to them how technically complicated something was how much money was behind it is not nearly as relevant as is this engaging do i enjoy this will i spend time watching this so creators have the opportunity i mean which is kind of insane if you think about it you have the opportunity to produce more engaging content than the largest studios on the planet by virtue of the fact that you are closer to your audience than they are from the lucha podcast network this is the mass startup podcast the Mass Startup Podcast profiles the most talented creators, impactful entrepreneurs, and high-performing professionals with the purpose to drive insights, learnings, and tactics to help you build the things that you believe in. This podcast is sponsored by Sage Accounting. Sage gives entrepreneurs and small businesses the information, insights, and tools they need to succeed. Sign up for a 30-day trial to start using Sage Accounting in your business using the offer code SAGEMASH. Is it Christmas yet? I've, I've had enough of this year. <laughs> <laughs> There's no way that you, you're feeling that way in uh, May. The end of May? Uh, almost the end of May? <laughs> I actually... Dude, when I checked, it was like still February. And we were thinking about the first half of the year as this long way away in time. And now suddenly it's like a week from now and we're halfway through the year. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's actually like the pace of this year has gone like from zero to a hundred and then um, last year went really slow and obviously you know I think everything everyone was yeah. going through contributed to that I'm just not sure what was contributing to this perception that this year is going so much faster it yeah I actually I, I wish I knew um, I mean last year obviously did feel a bit slower because you know pandemic um, <laughs> but yeah. this year it's like there's still pandemic but like we're adapting to it somehow and it's like we're figuring out ways to keep busy i mean there's only so much netflix you can watch before it's like man i gotta do something <laughs> so <laughs> what would you say is like one of those projects you got stuck into because the pandemic happened um well there wasn't actually it wasn't like a side project i mean i i sort of quit my job in 2018 to go freelance and I've started building a company around that. And that keeps me incredibly busy. Like the pandemic, we actually ended up ramping up, not down last year. Um, so I don't need side projects. <laughs> I've got plenty on my main project <laughs> to keep me busy. Is this Get Berry or Amberstone? This is Amberstone. So I, um, you know, like the short version of my background, I worked in digital marketing for 10 years for a company that 
uh, was headquartered here, got acquired by a global firm in 2011. I worked there through 2018. Um, finally sort of had enough of the agency life and then did what most people do. They quit and they start their own agency. Um, I don't even know how I ended up here. Um, but, but that's Amberstone. That's like my, my nine to five, as it were. Uh, Berry is one of several uh, sort of side projects that I work on um, just because I think they should exist. Oh, yeah, definitely. I just saw Creator Economy and I went wild because um, I feel like that's been my obsession for the last few weeks. Uh, it's just around the mm. creator economy as well as the future of work and just how we all sort of evolve through this um, looking at creators as being these sort of, um, you know, just one uh, one person out there that's doing something, whether it's YouTube channels, whatever it is, um, mm -hmm. versus everyone basically becoming a content creator, whether it's a blog, a podcast, a video thing, whatever it is, everyone's yeah. like embracing that reality of you become the commodity and like the work that you do is part of that, but it's not necessarily all of it. And you are the business, not the business becoming something that you work yeah. on, but you actually being the business itself. Yeah, no, it's a... Um it's a shift that South Africa is like a little bit overdue for um, in the sense that like it's, it's difficult to explain this. I think um, I've, I've worked in South Africa, technically speaking all my life uh, from 2008 onwards, you know, my company was based in Cape town that I worked for, but because we spent so much time servicing international clients just around that, I sort of got absorbed into the way things work in the US and the UK. Mm. And then when I quit and I started looking at South Africa, it felt like I had stepped like 10 years back in time in the way that everything runs in South Africa. Yeah. And especially the way that the like, creators and I think the validity of the creator economy is perceived. Like, um, I think today still, if you have like a high school kid who like, wants to grow up to become a YouTuber, he's probably being like rubbished by his parents oh, yeah. and community. Like that's not a real job. Meanwhile, as I sit here in one of the groups I'm in, uh, there's a, a creative class in some California university somewhere. Part of the syllabus is starting a Twitch stream and actually getting to like a hundred followers and learning that skill like at university. So the, the U S is like way ahead on this stuff. And we're just starting to kind of see now that, Oh, it is totally valid to build a career around being a creator and creating content. Um, so I'm actually pretty excited for what lies next or what comes next rather, yeah, um, in I, South Africa because... I also think it's just like um, a lot of the people that are regarded as creators aren't yet. Like it's people that got famous for something else and it just happens that, mm. you know, they built a really big following on social media and people call them creators but they don't actually make anything. And because of that, <laughs> the people that actually make stuff don't get as much attention and like their work is not really pushing through. And like you're seeing this in, mm. in podcasts. Obviously, I have like a bigger focus around podcasts, but you're seeing a lot of creators that really were coming into the space to add a lot of value, create really beautiful um, connections, build really good communities. Those people aren't getting as much attention as say someone that just goes off, you know, you, you got a following from whatever it was and then just pivoted to 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 to, yeah. to podcast and those people are sort of the ones that are sort of getting the bag first um don't you think that becomes like a barrier to some people that like hey the people that are actually trying to work on this as a career versus the people that fall into it um those are the people that are actually mm -hmm. winning instead of the people that are like super dedicated around it i 
I think the the people, I mean, so what you're describing is sort of like the creation versus distribution uh, dilemma. And oh, so yeah. in, in South Africa, right, you had very centralized, very monopolized distribution. I mean, literally, we have the South African Broadcasting Corporation. We have a company whose only job is broadcasting. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, and so, you know, you have that and then it started becoming podcasting. People broke away both their own platforms. But I think that is an advantage in a very narrow sense because it fades, right? I mean, in for me, like the canonical example is the YouTuber, uh, what's it, Akif, uh, Felix Shelberg, uh, PewDiePie. I don't mm. know if you've heard of him or know him. Oh, no, I have. Yeah, he, I mean, it's no longer true now. I think some other Indian creator overtook him. But for many years, he was the number one creator on YouTube he pulled larger audience numbers than USA Today, America's largest newspaper. His only output was producing one video per day every day for like eight years. And for him to do that, he's able to produce relatable content to an audience that wants to see it. He beat the distribution channel of America's largest news organizations, which is kind of insane, but also illustrates that, yes, you might have the advantage now in terms of distribution where it's shaped like a few people have most of it and all these new creators are coming up. But the people who rely on others for their distribution, they can't sustain that growth. They don't know how to go out there and build an audience because the audience was handed to them, right? Mm. They got a slot on a radio show. They got onto TV. Yeah. Um, it wasn't their job to build the audience. So I think in the long run, creators have a better chance of sustaining it because we know what it's like to have to build an audience from scratch. Yeah. Um, actually, like, please go into what Barry actually is. By the way, the podcast has started at this point. I think we, we didn't even chat. <laughs> <laughs> We're chatting now. That's the whole thing. <laughs> um, okay. So I think let me preface this by explaining, I, I guess, the, the rationale behind this. Um, I, I kind of grew up on the internet and I think I should start there because there's a clear generational gap between people who see the internet as a commodity and people who see the internet as a way of life. And I'm the latter. Mm. I, I see the internet as the foundation for modern community. Um, you know, much more than just <laughs> shame. Sorry. I'm always reminded, um, lovely guy, Charles, a uh, very old friend of mine. He retired from an accounting firm a couple of years ago. Um, he, he thinks of the internet as the USB dongle that you plug into a computer. So he literally showed up to my dad's house one day and asked if he could borrow the internet. And we literally were like, what? <laughs> he's like, no, the, the internet, the little, the little stick. What? Oh, the dongle. Yes. So you want to check his email, right? So you ask him, it's like, that's two generations ago. <laughs> I'm, and I think we are in the generation where, the internet is like our default for establishing community, probably in a more real way than the real world, um, to, especially if you're on social media. You're kind of used to this. Um, and with that, with those connections comes the idea that you're building societies and cultures on the internet. Um, and that's where I grew up, you know, online communities. And I watched in like around the world, um, sort of the US, UK, Singapore, uh, China, I saw these communities turn into economies. People started buying and selling things from each other, mm -hmm. um, you know, completely peer-to-peer, -peer, no central distribution, no nothing. And so when I look at the creator economy, I see it as a natural consequence of the fact that we're all online every day. Eventually, we're going to make and sell stuff to each other. Um, 
and so when I when I quit my job in 2018, I set out to build a company that did you know what I'm good at. But I've always had it in the back of my head that I want to put more effort into building whatever it is that helps South Africa's creator economy get going. Um, and that's what we've been doing for the last couple of weeks is that we've uh, discovered a whole bunch of creators. We've reached out. We're having meetings and conversations. We're trying to assess pain points. You know, like what is it that's preventing you from reaching the next level, uh, getting the audience, getting the income, building up to the point where you want to be so that we can look at, you know, what's the best thing to launch first to actually help local creators. And there's like a list of things that we're looking at. Um, but at the moment, that's what Barry is. We're sort of in discovery mode. We're trying to figure out what are the like top two, three pain points um, that we can help local creators address. And then out of that will come some uh, products. I think the, the, the easiest one that sort of like most people sort of go to will be like, oh no, monetization, right? Like, Everyone thinks that they figured out um, distribution. Everyone thinks that they figured out how to make the content or how much they should be making of it. But everyone thinks that it's very, very hard in South Africa to monetize that content and like um, earn a living from creative work. Um, do mm. you think that it's that easy or does it go beyond that? Because I do think it goes way beyond just I, I can't find a way to make money from this. I think there's there's a lot more work that needs to go into creators understanding that distribution is super important and like mm. you don't have to build your own app in order to earn that distribution there's all these platforms that are trying to build all these tools into um to enable as many creators to monetize or mm. distribute whatever it is but like do you think it's as simple that it's just like oh no monetization is actually the problem is um do you think there's a lot more to it i think there is um and our first handful of conversations have borne that out i mean the the main impression we're getting so far is that you know it's <laughs> we have these social networks we have twitter facebook instagram and like the the first thing and i think we, we see this on twitter like every other day um twitter is moderated by people that aren't based in south africa and that's sometimes obvious in the way that they apply their policies but we're sort of we're building our networks on platforms owned by foreign like large foreign companies that they wouldn't really miss us if we went away. Um, and I think there's that, which also means that a lot of the tools and the information is built around reaching audiences that are that connected. So when it comes to building distribution and building networks, there's already, in my opinion, a little bit of a mismatch between what we need locally and what's actually available. Mm. Um, but more than that, the predominant conversations we've had are just people who want bigger audiences. They just, you know, they've they've heard about, you know, posting stuff uh what's the posting automatically to social networks they've heard about these things but you know they're making you know music or in in one case uh, digital art they just want to get more people to see it um you know how do they do that and that's actually the first question we get um you know monetization i think personally should be a consequence not a goal like you should get to the point where people are willing to pay you because you're creating and sustaining value as opposed to just focusing on, you know, how do I turn these people into money? And that's kind of, if looking at the way that think about monetization in, uh, especially in the US, um, it seems like it gets as far as if you have a big audience, you can slap a price tag on that. And that's your monetization strategy. It's like, no, there's more to it than that. Um, especially when you've got people that want to support others just because they like what they're doing. Yeah. It's, it's not as transactional. It's much more like, 
you know, you're doing a cool thing and I want to be part of it. And that's why I'm, you know, pledging or donating money to you or whatever. Yeah. And, and like you think of a, a, a platform like Patreon where it's really based on off of just that, right? Like it's, hey, you're doing something really cool and I want to help sustain mm. that thing. I just want to make sure that this still exists. Yeah, and to me, that's actually, that's a lot closer to the ideal uh, way to monetize because, you know, not only is it, in a sense, expectation-free, like you're not making a product to sell, um, you're just making stuff. <laughs> there's also the fact that there's this accountability loop that forms where if your audience, your fans, are in effect sustaining your lifestyle, that motivates you like nothing else to cr keep creating the stuff that got you there. Um, you know, once you're producing, whether it's a podcast or, you know, a webcast series or you're writing novels or whatever it is you're doing, if you're doing it for the people that derive the value, some percentage of them will pay you to do that. And it becomes a self-reinforcing loop. It also protects you. I mean, I think protection is the right word. It protects you from being acquired by large media companies. It's one of my, Disney and copyright law are one of my biggest bugbears when it comes to you know, how the creator economy works. Because there's a certain point, if you produce enough unique IP or you start straying into different territories, Disney can make your life hell. I don't think enough people know this. Um, and so doing stuff for a community and making that sustaining, to me, seems like the healthier option than trying to, you know, get your stuff syndicated by a major platform or, you know, um, get a hero designed and sold to Marvel. That doesn't seem to me like the, the sustainable way to build it. Yeah, and like, what do you think of like South Africa's current state of the sort of very early versions of what the creative economy could be, right? So you're seeing a lot of people make podcasts, make YouTube channels, uh, build uh, followings on social media, and basically mm -hmm. the, the, the low-hanging fruit is brands will come to you and they'll offer you a certain amount and then you'll post about them. What do you think of that mm -hmm. very transactional, very, you know... Um, there's no deep investment there from anyone to actually create something original or meaningful. It's really just like, hey, slap our logo on there and then we'll call it, you know, a campaign. Um, what do you think of these <laughs> sort of early versions of what the creator economy could be yeah. um, and what, how we've actually sort of implemented it as well? I think, so I, I should probably contextualize this um, and, and uh, yeah, there's a website, it's still live, um, where we were able to, by hand, uh, correlate all the Twitter users in South Africa. This was like the early like the late, early 2010s. Um, me and a digital marketer ended up building a wiki page where we went and manually found all the South Africans we could. So I've been on Twitter since we were less than 300 people nationally. Um, and obviously, I've seen the network evolve over that time. Um, current campaigns in my view are just not sophisticated enough like you've got you know these uh, like you said what's the phrase dm for promo like the absolute basic of i have an audience i can sell stuff to them and then you've got the brands working with influencers and that's cool um but it's not as sophisticated as having long-term arrangements having brand ambassadors um you know having advanced analytics on what audiences are actually doing behavior wise tailoring stuff to that to me it just seems like there's a gap between what we're doing now and what we could be doing if we sort of knew more and had better tools for reaching uh, our audiences so 
I also don't think that that stuff's ever going to go away. Um, you're always going to have the very basic models. And then as we learn new things and figure out how to run more effective campaigns, they just get more and more sophisticated. That's true. And like, you see, you've seen sort of early versions of like platforms that can help creators or people that have a significant audience be able to monetize that audience. So say something mm -hmm. like Webfluential, which, you know, I tried out very early on and I thought this is not what I think the future is, you know, like very early on, I was like, there's something about this that doesn't seem right. And that for me was like, one, you know, it's, 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 it's making people bet against themselves, which is like, you mm. might have a significant audience that's deeply engaged and someone else might have a significant audience, but has no engagement at all. And both of you are going to take the same rate. And you look at that as just being like, you are the one that's actually betting against yourself in that situation more than the platform mm. actually, you know, empowering you in any way. And the way I think of the creative economy is like the control. I always thought that the, the, the power balance was broken in South Africa and that the, 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 the brands had a whole lot more power or influence than the yeah. creators do. And because of that uh, very significant power imbalance, that's why things are the way they are. And the more creators, you know, built their own platforms, created on more platforms, distributed a lot more content, really created at scale, that would change that sort of dynamic. And suddenly you'd have a situation where the creators were the ones in control of where the actual, you know, whether it's the monetization or like the, the really, you know, giving value to their audiences back rather than taking it through these sort of brand collaborations. Yeah, there's that power imbalance is definitely uh, real, and it, it actually it feels much more tangible here than it does anywhere else. Um, you know, in the sense that we do have this hyper concentrated economy in South Africa. Actually, I mean, there's if you looked at the list of the JC top forty companies, that hasn't really moved in the last twenty years. Um, you know, there hasn't been like like a new Microsoft coming along or like a big change to like the way our economy functions. So you do have that imbalance and, you know, to get around that, you do need a much more sort of participatory economy, if I can use that word. One where, you know, creators are, aren't building audiences just to sell them ads, which is like the old way of thinking, but it's much more about building relationships and value and discovering new things out of that. Um, you know, I've seen also a Webfluential and there's another one that is very popular in Europe that is named, I can't recall now, but you're right about the fact it doesn't matter how, what quality you have, um, you know, people still play the old school numbers game, you know, that comes from like the TV and radio era where circulation equals revenue. Um, that's absolutely not what you can do nowadays. Um, and I think the only way that changes is if, you know, creators are building meaningful relationships with their audiences and offering tangible value. Because the interesting thing is, um, <laughs> it doesn't matter uh, to a consumer, it doesn't matter how much you spent on your content. Um, and, and this is one of those like things that really annoys studio executives, like they can sink $500 million into a movie, you know, cough, Avengers cough. And then you know, someone's 10 minute YouTube video will get more watch time from the same audience, oh, yeah. something that someone shot in a camera, you know? So there's another imbalance, which is that consumers and audiences 
to them, how technically complicated something was, how much money was behind it, is not nearly as relevant as, is this engaging? Do I enjoy this? Will I spend time watching this? So creators have the opportunity, I mean, which is kind of insane if you think about it. You have the opportunity to produce more engaging content than the largest studios on the planet by virtue of the fact that you are closer to your audience than they are. Yeah, that is so that's such a powerful way to think about this rather than just mm. going, oh, no, you know, um, I have an audience. Here's a brand. Let's put something on here and then just push it out. It's like creating way more meaningful and val like value for the people that listen, the people that watch, the people that read, right? Like, mm -hmm. I think of, you know, one of the other side projects you guys, you, you, you sort of involved in, which is Banker X, which I think is like one of the mm -hmm. most important, now, one of the most important investment and financial platforms in the country. How do you rationalize the fact that you guys have gotten this big, this quick, and have probably some of the most, like, you guys are influential in the way in which you guys can drive people to do certain things. How do you rationalize the growth and existence of the actual platform? That Kashyyyk. Actually, no, look, what this is is actually really simple. Um, there is a tremendous knowledge gap between, you know, the sort of what we term the retail investor or just the sort of the basic man on the street and, you know, that, you know, people that work in the financial industry actually have. Yeah. Um, and Kashik and I are sort of aligned on the point that we think that gap is ridiculous and we think it needs to be addressed. So I think a huge portion of our growth comes down to the fact that People want to know how to make more money, how to become wealthy, you know, how to do all these things for various reasons, all of them valid, but you're not going to get that information, you know, very easily. And so we're just like, okay, we're going to build a platform and make the stuff available for free because neither of us, myself nor Kashik, need this to be like, a, you know, this, this thing that's viable or anything like that. In, in a sense. Yeah. Like we, we started just under a year ago and we do eventually intend on monetizing it, but every step of the way we've been, it has to be over and above what we're already giving away for free, which is much more than you're going to get from like a paid course on how something works. Um, you know, like we're not here to extract value from anything. We're just here to make it sustaining. Um, you know, we don't need this to be uh, like eventually sold out to a large media group or something. This is just a project where there's... <laughs> There's too many people falling for too many ridiculous scams in South Africa for us to like honestly say that things are okay. <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> um, they just, I will, uh, there'll be more details actually. We're also this week um, starting up uh, a BankerX uh, podcast, um, or at least we're, we're talking about it um, because I think it's just the next logical step. We were doing the, the Whiskey Thursday spaces already, yeah. Yeah. Um, and one of them will tell the origin story of where BankX comes from in, in great detail. But one of the trigger events for us was um, we, we made up a fake Twitter account. We basically created a fake investment uh, company called the Charlatan Group. Now, we named it the Charlatan Group. I remember right? this. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, and, and we were like, this is obviously fake. And so we posted stuff which is obviously fake and over the top and completely ridiculous. 
people were DMing us asking how to invest completely sincerely. And we were just like, no, <laughs> you've got to be kidding. <laughs> and, that, and that's actually when my eyes were opened up. Like now suddenly I understand why every couple months there's like WhatsApp stock file scams, there's crypto scams. People are kind of just handing over money and, and being taken for a complete ride. And it's like, oh, the reason this happens is that so many people can't tell a scam and the legitimate investment apart. And it's like, okay, well, there's something to be done here. And that's kind of like one of the trigger points for why we ended up building BankerX. Yeah. And I think of it like, um, so I've been thinking, thinking about and talking about this formula, um, loosely like named as a formula, where it's like community, content, commerce, where you build mm -hmm. a community through content and then you monetize it however you, you choose later on. You guys have already built like a phenomenal community, like I don't know how big that Telegram group is now. Um, is it Telegram? Wait, I, am I right? Am I wrong? Uh, yeah. So there is a Telegram group. There's 3,000 engaged people, 13,000 subscribed people. There's a newsletter and there's the two Twitter accounts. Um, so and and <laughs> I saw the website also went underwent like a, a refresh, rebrand. I don't know what, redesign. Um, where the content is like so much... You know, presented really well, where you really want to engage with it really meaningfully. How how deeply mm -hmm. do you guys think about the content that you're putting out? But also, how important is the community to you guys as well? So we're doing this for the community. Um, you know, like this is a thing where you know my background is mostly sort of technology and systems and some finance, and Kashik's background is deep finance, as in he works in investment banking. Um, and between us, we're like our the reason we're doing this is we just want to hand out as much value as we can to as many people as we can. Um, so the content we put out is in line with that. You know, there's a team of fantastic content creators that are all sort of on board to, uh, you know, each one covers a specific area um, to publish, you know, about uh, investments, personal finance, uh, lifestyle stuff. There's all sorts of uh, specializations there. And the content we put out is it's meant to be engaging and actionable because you know we're not bankerx is not like a lead generation channel for a company we're not going to put out like you know short pieces to try to get you to sign up for something we were just like no we're going to give you the full article up front because that's what you need you, you need to know how these things work for us to put paywalls and barriers up you know that's just not going to help us add value um, so that's how we think about the content is that every time, and this is actually the way I see it. Every time I see somebody falling for a scam, it just like motivates me that much harder to work on BankerX mm. because, you know, you don't need to be making those mistakes. Um, and I think, yeah, the, there's obviously, there's, there's more stuff coming this year. The community response has been insane. Um, you know, there's a, a real need and a real desire for actually knowing this stuff. Um, and it's not really being taught anywhere else. So to us, it kind of feels like a, it's almost like a social responsibility in a sense. Um, yeah. You know, we want South Africans on average to be more financially literate, want to be wealthier, have access to the same opportunities that their peers have in other countries. Yeah. Um, when you think about the difference between, say, an uh, individual creator trying to build um, their own following and just distribute content, whether it's financial, entrepreneurship, beauty, whatever it is, versus building a platform um, in order to distribute that, that, that information or that content. What do you think are the key differences between those two things? And also, what do you think is easier or better for creators to be focused mm. on? 
You know, there's actually, there's, a, there's two different sets of skills involved. Um, you know, you can be excellent at your, your field of creation, wh whatever you're doing, music, writing, art, games, whatever. But building platforms is a skill in and of itself. Um, knowing how to engage, how to reach out to people, how to push your message, how to you know, sort of uh, cultivate loyalty, how to cultivate a following. It's, it's kind of like slightly like a marketing slash community building skill um, that takes a certain kind of person and a certain kind of effort. So to me, that's sort of the distinction. And I also think that's possibly the problem in the sense that we have a lot of really, really good creators in South Africa. We have a lot of good music. I've seen comics that are on par with anything coming out of the States. Um, you know, I've seen the potential here, but unless if you have access to a distribution network, you're not going to be able to make much progress in your career. And learning how to build those networks is like a career in and of itself, um, which is why I'm sort of, I'm increasingly of the opinion that, you know, there are individual creators who can do both. Um, and they are able to, you know, create the products and the content and build a community and drive the whole thing. But I think there are fewer of them than there are good creators that would be able to achieve amazing things if they were partnered with good distributors, people that wanted to walk that journey with them and were able to bring the skills of platform building and audience building. Uh, I frankly think collaborations are going to take us much further. Yeah. And, you know, just to sort of end things off, because I want to try and keep this shorter, um, mm -hmm. is what do you think is, is, is one thing that, or, you know, one to three things that every creator in South Africa should be focused on and really double down on right now? Um, good question. Uh, okay, step one. <laughs> Actually, uh, this is not a three-step program. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, so, okay, look, uh, Point one, um, and I think maybe this isn't said explicitly, and maybe it's just me. I mean, it's entirely possible that I'm the only person in the country that thinks like this. I'm willing to accept that. But I think there's this implicit assumption that because you're not in like the UK or the US, you know, you're not working in one of these states or for one of these companies, that the, the level of work you're capable of is somehow hamstrung by the fact that you're in South Africa. That is nonsense. <laughs> right now, you've got access, like, the, you know, if you're online from a 3G connection in Alexandra Township, you're on the same network that Jeff Bezos used to build a trillion-dollar company. Like, come on. Mm. You are not limited by your geography. Um, if there's any kind of idea or any kind of notion that sort of tells you that you can't be as good as your heroes in the States because of that, that's nonsense. Um, you know, step two is that, at the bare minimum, you need to be able to build and sustain relationships with other people. I've seen a lot of good creators who independently produce absolute magic, but you know that's all that they focus on. And they wish they could go full-time and they wish they could build this up, but they seem to miss the thing that it's other people that are going to help you do that. Um, you know, So learn to put yourself out there a little bit. I mean, not... You don't have to pretend. You don't have to oversell. Like, I'm actually a huge fan of just, honestly, like, right now, this is the thing that I'm going through and putting it online. There's a lot of empathy to be found out there. If you if you know who to not follow on social media, there's actually, like, a lot of good stuff <laughs> and a lot of good connections you can make. That's true. <laughs> and I think, um, you know, between those two, the fact that 
you have access to the same playing field as the rest of the world. Um, you know, put yourself out there a little bit more. Um, then it's just, I think it, it, it's often said that, you know, there's a lot of, um, there's always a, like a ton of, of resources and things that you can access online, like an overwhelming amount of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that the better approach is to ask questions of people that have done the thing you're trying to do. Um, you know, our experience with the Bankrex community especially has been that people are willing to help, mm-hmm. um, you know, and there's this, because I know like a lot of times it's very easy to say, oh, you want to learn how to draw. Sure, there's like 15 drawing courses and 300 hours of content on YouTube. But if your question is, you know, how do I draw hands better? You're going to get more value by asking somebody who does that and just reaching out and say, hey, I saw you did this cool thing. Um, Would you mind showing me how or can you help me learn? Um, Because that's the one thing that I've seen is that people in South Africa are willing to help each other grow. Um, But you have to actually reach out and ask for that help first. Um, I would say those are the top three things because everything else, the technical skills, what you're doing, the ideas you have, you're going to do that anyway. Um, but now you have to learn how to do it in an environment that's, you know, here that's meant to support you and, you know, learning how to collaborate, um, I think, more than just you know, creating individually. Yeah. Thank you so much, man. Like, by the way, I had no idea what direction yeah. this podcast was going to go in. I just wanted to have a conversation <laughs> with you. And then it ended up being about the thing that I really care about the most right now, which is the creative economy and like how to build the future and what the future of work will be. And yeah, I really appreciate the conversation. Yeah, likewise. Thanks for having me on. Cool. To access previous episodes of this podcast, but also again access to other shows on our network, please visit lucha.com.